I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. It's Friday, and I can't tell, did the week drag by or fly by? Well, it feels like it was a little bit of both to me. But I know one thing, fast or slow, there was a whole lot of news. Stories like these. The estimated cost for caring for migrants this year, including providing shelter, health care, and transitioning them into their own housing, is estimated to be $321 million. By voting no, Chicago Alders voting to reject the controversial ordinance that contains a provision providing arbitration to Chicago police officers behind closed doors when it comes to certain types of CPD disciplinary action. The company that runs Shot Spotter technology that alerts Chicago police when shots are fired responds to Mayor Brandon Johnson's decision to end that contract. And we couldn't do it all alone. This week we were joined by Dan Petrella, Chicago Tribune political reporter, Patrick Smith, WBEZ's criminal justice and education editor, and Mariah Wolfel, city government and politics reporter for WBEZ. And Patrick started by filling us in on the latest with the gun detection technology ShotSpotter. During his campaign for mayor, uh, Mayor Brandon Johnson pledged to end the city's deal with ShotSpotter. He said it was expensive and ineffective. But then since he's been mayor, he's been pretty tight-lipped about whether or not he was going to follow through on that con on that promise and end the contract with the company that runs ShotSpotter. As you think you mentioned, the contract was set set to expire today. Mm -hmm. Maybe you didn't mention this time. We've talked about it a lot this week. You've yeah. talked about it a lot this week. But the contract was set to expire today. Earlier this week, Johnson announced that he would be ending the agreement, but that he'd be, he'd be extending it to September the problem with that is the company that runs ShotSpotter, they said they didn't have any agreement in place to extend the, the uh, ShotSpotter contract through September. I see. Uh, remind us, Mariah, how ShotSpotter works so, and, and its accuracy, too. Right. So uh, s several studies have shown that, um, you know, it, it isn't as effective as it as it should be in, in helping, um, you know, find where gunshots happen in the city of Chicago. But it's a tool that police have relied on for years, one way or another. And like you said, many people against, many people for. I think some violence intervention groups came out um, and, and, you know, spoke about some concerns that they have of abruptly ending this contract. But you have a lot of um, gun prevention organizers and advocates who have who have long um, lobbied Chicago's mayor to end this to end this contract. Yeah. And so, as Patrick said, this was a major campaign promise um, that Johnson, you know, announced this week in a in a statement, no press conference, right. just a statement saying definitively, we are going to extend it until September, get through summer months and the DNC in August, um, and then let the contract sunset from there. And, and, and I think it's important to note, uh, there's sort of the, I think there's a different question of effectiveness or accuracy. Mm -hmm. As far as accuracy, the, the ShotSpotters contract with the city, uh, they have to be up, up to at least 90% accurate. Like if they report a gunshot, they have to be 90% accurate. Reporting shows, and, and they say they, they are meeting that bar and, and above it, but the question of effectiveness, whether or not this is actually helping solve Yeah, like, is it improving or, public yeah, safety exactly, in Chicago? Exactly. That, that's what, what Mariah is referring to, the reporting. And by reporting, I mean reports by the inspector general, reports by the state's attorney's office, the MacArthur Justice Center, have found that this is an expensive tool that doesn't lead to gun arrests or, or shooting arrests or, or other, other um, you know, crime prevention tools. Anyone surprised at all to, to learn that Johnson didn't give ShotSpotter a new city contract? Uh, I'm I'm not surprised, but I am surprised that he came out and announced it before it seemed like the extension was fully baked. Yeah. I mean, it seems like another self-inflicted 
public relations disaster maybe is too strong a word, but the crisis that City Hall has created by not having its ducks in a row before it came out and it made an announcement. It's just kind of baffling that uh, yesterday's post-council press conference, the mayor could not even answer whether, as of then, the contract was going to end at the end of the day today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was a yes or no question, and he could not give a yes or no answer to the question. Um, yeah, folks, and it's just, yeah. folks reporting this were talking about how he kind of timidly did this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like Mariah mentioned, not a press. You know, this is him fulfilling a campaign promise, but he didn't have a press conference to answer questions about right. it and just sort of say, hey, look, I said I was going to cancel it, and I did. As Dan points out, he announced this extension, but but they didn't actually have it in place. Our colleague Chip Mitchell, who was on on the show earlier this week talking about ShotSpotter, he has a question out to the mayor's office right now, like, hey, you guys got an agreement? They still have not answered. Uh, so so we're we're still waiting to see what, what's going to happen with that uh alleged extension yeah speaking of questions out to the mayor and mariah i know that you asked yesterday if if he plans to to sign up with a new similar company what do he tell you any clue as to what life after shot spotter would look like yeah so this is one definitive answer we did get from the mayor yesterday he didn't even let me finish my question before he said no um they wouldn't be you know pursuing another gunshot detection um technology and i asked that because his senior advisor, Jason Lee, um, refused to rule that possibility out in reporting by Southside Weekly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why I asked that. But Johnson, you know, very quickly said no. Later, he said, you know, I I can't predict what sort of technology of the there will, will be in the future for. But but he was clear to say for non-police response mm, um, okay. to crime. And so he did kind of, you know, say pretty definitively and stick to his overall strategy of trying to pursue non-police responses. So, Patrick, help us understand what Chicago communities are going to feel the impact of this tech systems departure. So so the shot spotter is only in, um, and forgive me, I don't have the numbers in front of me, I believe it's 12 police districts. Uh, it's in the districts that are supposed to have the highest levels of, uh, of gun violence, not just supposed to, but do have the highest levels of gun violence. And it really depends on who you ask as, as to whether or not they are going to feel an impact. Mariah mentioned uh, anti-violence groups that say they they need or, or rely on on this gunshot detection. There are residents in those communities and, and police in those communities who say that that ShotSpotter helps them respond more quickly to uh, to shootings. Uh, but there are other people in those same communities who who say this really doesn't do much for police response. I mean, I think the uh, the the murder of Ariana Preston, the off-duty police officer mm-hmm. who was killed earlier this year, there was a shot spotter alert when she was killed. Um, but police were not dispatched when it went out because that was the only thing. There was no 911 call, anything else. So the question of, of this is exactly what we're getting at is of accurate, but is it effective? Yeah. So looking to you now, Dan, because yesterday Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker, as well as Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle, they pledged $250 million to address the migrant crisis in Chicago. But there was one person who was, seemed to be left out. That's right. Um, so the governor... Uh, President Preckwinkle and Mayor Johnson had gotten together. Um, They met actually in January and then again earlier this month. And according to the governor's office and uh, the county board president's office, they all agreed that about $321 million of additional funding is going to be required to take care of the migrant response through the end of 2024. The governor uh, pledged that he will propose to the legislature another $182 million. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tony Preckwinkle said she'd go to the county board to try to get another $70 million. And then there's this remaining 70 million that the city may or may not have committed to uh, to putting forth to help with the situation. 
Um, and again, the mayor did not have very good answers when repeatedly asked by reporters about this yesterday at his uh, press conference after the city council meeting why he wasn't part of this agreement that was announced, mm-hmm. why he wasn't pledging this money. And it's yet another instance where we're seeing a disconnect between the governor and the mayor on how to address the migrant crisis. It's um, a situation that's going on for several months now. It really reared its head in uh late November, early December, when they were going to be building this tent encampment for migrants in the Brighton Park neighborhood. And uh, the state pulled the plug because the site the city had chosen had environmental concerns. Um, There was a debate about whether, you know, the city gave the state enough pre-warning about what this environmental report was going to say. Right. Um, Now the mayor is saying that they're not going to open any more shelters and the governor is uh, not been pleased with that idea. There are obviously still people who need shelter. Um, and so there's been this really big breakdown over the last several months about how to address this crisis. Uh, the mayor's point of view is that he's trying to get the state to step up and do more, mm-hmm. to take on more responsibility for the shelter, which really has been left to the city for the last year and a half now that this crisis has been going on. Um, on, on the state side, they say, you know, we've offered $65 million already to, to help build this tent encampment or, or expand shelter capacity. Tell us where to go. And the state says that they have not gotten answers from from the city about that. Yeah. Anything to add, Mariah? Um, just on the press conference yesterday, it was it, it was extremely frustrating, I think, because the reporting has shown that, you know, this this meeting did happen. There's a 70 million dollars missing and there is no answer about whether the city did commit to that 70 million dollars um, and then pull back that commitment. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, like this comes as the city is, as Mayor Brandon Johnson can't commit to even being able to run shelters through the summer with the existing funds. And so this back and forth between who said what um, is really not like a, a good look for, for Mayor Brandon Johnson. And I, I think like, you know, Chicagoans are becoming increasingly frustrated with with the finger pointing between the governor and the mayor. Yeah. Right. It seemed like a lot of reporters trying to like doing that, trying to squeeze a real answer out of Mayor Johnson. Was that a pretty tense press conference? It was extremely tense. Um, and you know, the mayor, the mayor had repeatedly said, you know, he, there was this really tense back and forth where he was like, were you in this meeting? You know, like a reporter asking, you know, we, have heard from sources that there's that there was this $70 million commitment. Um, and he seemed to dispute that fact, but but didn't have an answer as to why that the governor's office was saying that. He mm-hmm. was even asked, like, are you saying the governor's office staffer is lying um, about really? what was said in this meeting? Um, but there was no clear answer about why that $70 million is, you know, disputed between the two. And I think what's puzzling here, too, is that, you know, Tony Preckwinkle is an ally of Brandon Johnson's. They they are, uh, you know, supposedly close. She supported his his run for mayor. Um, but the breakdown between the two of them is really interesting, too. You know, obviously, as county board president, she also needs the governor. She needs the governor's support for things the county wants to do in Springfield. On the political side, as chair of the county Democratic Party, she needs the governor's uh, support and money to help fund candidates running for office. Um, so if this is a signal of some sort of break starting to happen between Preckwinkle and Johnson, that could be trouble for the mayor as well. I don't know that it's to that extent yet, but um, not not a good situation for him to be in fighting with two of the other top Democrats in the state over this issue. Yeah. Well, another story on our radar. Yesterday, the Chicago City Council voted again to block a police union provision that would allow misconduct cases to play out behind closed doors. Fill us in, Mariah. 
Yeah, so they voted 32 to 18 to reject an arbitrator's ruling that police officers have a right to have their serious misconduct cases adjudicated behind closed doors with a private ar arbitrator um, selected by the police union. And that would be a big difference from how those cases are adjudicated now. An officer, when they're facing firing or discipline or uh, suspension of more than a year, um, go before the public police board. It's a mayoral appointed board. Um, and that's how it's been for decades in Chicago. And so city council is essentially voting to say we want to keep it that way um, in the interest of transparency. Um, but the largest police union in the city is vowing a court battle. That seems inevitable at this point. Um, and I think the next court hearing is later this month on mm -hmm. February 26th. And so um, this will can we'll continue to talk about this on the show as it plays out. Yeah, in for courts. sure. I mean, Mariah just walked us through sort of how they would currently get handled these cases. But just using a specific example, Patrick, let's say a police officer is accused of serious misconduct, right? Like the improper use of, of deadly force against a civilian. Walk us through the difference in how that would have been played out. Right. So so in that instance that you're talking about uh, right now, as Mariah mentioned, uh, COPA would, would recommend that officer be fired. The, the superintendent would bring those charges to the police board. The police board would have a, a, uh, a private hearing about that, and mm -hmm. then they would have they would announce their findings publicly uh, it, before the police board give their reason before the public, I should say, at a police board meeting, give their reasoning for deciding whether to terminate that officer or do some other punishment or not not take any action at all. Um, under this new, if if the uh, the the arbitrator's ruling were to stand, if if the union wins out essentially in this in this fight with Mayor Johnson and, and the majority of city council, uh, what what would happen instead is it would go to private arbitration. The results of that arbitration would not be made public. Um, by, by matter, of course, there are ways that that can become public, but mm -hmm. but not necessarily be, be made public. The deliberations wouldn't be public. Um, and I should say, I mentioned a, a private hearing. There, there's when an officer goes before the police board now, there's actually like a public trial that that reporters can go to, the general public can go to. Okay. Um, and, and one other thing I, w I want to point out, our, our colleague, I've brought him up already, our colleague Chip Mitchell has reported mm -hmm. on, in arbitration, you know, if you look at sort of the less serious discipline that right now is already eligible for arbitration, punishment is much more often reduced or the officer is not punished at all when it goes to private arbitration versus the police board. So for people out there who feel that there is not enough accountability now for police officers, uh, the record would indicate that this change would make the process less transparent and there would be less harsh punishment for, for officers who are uh, accused of wrongdoing. Yeah, uh, this was a loss for the police union with union president John Cadenzara saying about Alders that, quote, they've all but thrown the gauntlet down. End quote. Uh, what's next here, Mariah? Um, you know, John Cadenzar has vowed a, a court fight, and that is, a, you know, a main point of concern for aldermen who voted to accept the arbitrator's ruling um, that have criticized the majority of the city council saying this is symbolic. Um, you know, we are we are not in line with state law, uh, state labor law um, with this vote. And all this is doing is pushing this um to court where we're going to have a lengthy and costly court battle. And so that's how we'll see it play out. I also think it's important to point out at one city council committee hearing, attorneys for the city acknowledged it would be an uphill battle for the city to win in court. Mm -hmm. However, at another 
at a committee hearing after that, they kind of walked that back and said, no, no, we have some arguments that we think would, would play out. There are attorneys and advocates who think there's an argument to be made uh, on the city's behalf in court. They don't think it's as much of a slam dunk as, as it might seem. Um, and then I will also say there there are advocates who and experts who are pushing for, hey, if this change is going to happen, there should be changes in state law to require that that arbitration process is more transparent. Let's turn to Governor Pritzker and Democrats approving millions of dollars for local projects with their party's stamp of approval. Dan, what does it mean in politics to pass out the pork? This is what they like to refer to in Springfield as member initiative. So it's basically like a pool of money that's set aside from the state capital budget to pay for projects that are hand-selected by members of the legislature. And there's really little uh, transparency of how this process works. Um, there's a reason that this story published in February on a budget that was passed in May because it takes a long time to go through and figure out, um, you know, okay, this project is in this district and it was picked by this legislator mm. because there's really no documentation, at least publicly, or at least even we could find with filing freedom of information requests of which lawmaker requested which project and how the money got in the budget. That's nearly a year later. Um, you know, and some of that was having to set aside the reporting for other other projects and things. But um, yeah, it takes a lot of a lot of legwork to figure out who is requesting this money, where is it going, what's it being used for. And um, one of the things that we found in our reporting, uh, the story that published uh, last Sunday, if you missed it on Super Bowl Sunday, um, <laughs> was that uh, this time around, the Democrats completely froze out Republicans in the legislature from getting any money for new projects in their districts. Mm. So. Um, this is sort of an escalation of, of partisan tensions in Springfield as Democrats have grown their majorities in the legislature. Um, they don't need Republican votes to pass budgets anymore. Uh, they have safe margins. They can leave members who might be vulnerable in an election off the budget and still mm -hmm. not have to worry about not having enough votes. Um, and Republicans have gotten a little bit more, uh, maybe a lot more, Democrats would argue, intransigent in their positions on the budget, not being willing to vote for things. Right. Um, and so you have large swaths of the state that aren't able to tap into this money to get. So who, who's getting what? Oh, there's all, you know, it's, it's hundreds of projects because basically okay. um, most Democratic members in the Illinois House got a million dollars to a lot for projects in their districts. Democratic senators got two million. So it's going to all sorts of different things like yeah. pickleball courts in the north suburbs okay. or enclosure for camels at the zoo down in Decatur, the Riverwalk in Naperville, uh, Rock and Roll Museum in Joliet. And these are all projects that really don't have to go through any sort of application process before the money is appropriated to them. The legislature, you know, has a list of people who have come to them and say, hey, I need money for this project at, at a school in your district or, um, you know, this, this, uh, there are state legislators who say, give this pot of money to the alderman in, in my ward to fix up alleys. And mm -hmm. there's really just very little transparency to how the whole process plays out. Yeah. So a $150 million power play right before the governor set to give his budget address on Wednesday. I mean, talk more about how this is going over with Republicans in Springfield. Re Republicans are not pleased. You know, um, they they feel like they should have a seat at the table, as there is with everything in Springfield. There's a debate about who is who is not participating in the budget negotiation process, whose doors are open and who's slamming doors in each, <laughs> in each other's faces. Wow. Um, but really, um, you know, Republicans are also complaining that there was this big uh, capital construction program that was approved five years ago in a bipartisan fashion, and many of the projects in their districts are still waiting for money to be released 
so they can get going on those projects five year later five years later at the same time Democrats are getting new money to give out to, to projects in their yeah. districts. Now, Mariah, we talked about this last hour, but uh, we got to remind folks early voting is going on right now at key sites in Chicago and most surrounding counties. Early voting will expand to many more sites on March 4th. This is ahead of the March 19th primary, of course. So I want to turn to you, that Bring Chicago Home referendum. There are still efforts to get that blocked from appearing on the ballot, right? Yeah, and this is one of, you know, the biggest questions on the ballot for Chicago voters this primary. And it's a question of whether um, voters want to authorize the city council to raise the city's real estate transfer tax. It's a one-time tax when properties are sold. Um, and so for properties for property valued over a million dollars, um, the tax would increase. And for property valued under that amount, it would decrease. And so um, real estate and business groups fear that this will hurt um, the commercial buildings um, in the city of Chicago, which this tax will largely fall on, and large residential buildings um, that are valued over a million dollars. Um, they fear it, it will exacerbate um, vacancies in downtown Chicago. Um, and so they have filed a lawsuit um, to get this removed from the ballot. They're seeking just an injunction from a judge to mm. stop um the Chicago Board of Elections from asking voters to vote on this. And they are arguing that the ballot question itself is too vague. It also couples too many questions into one um, referendum. I, see that. I mean, how would that work anyway? People are already getting their mail-in ballots. We already have people for the last two days early voting. Yeah, so so far this hasn't affected the election process because the Chicago Board of Elections is just moving forward um, until they hear otherwise from a judge. There was a hearing on this this week. A judge did not rule. The 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 decision is kind of being bogged down by procedural procedural questions. Um, there's a question of like whether the Chicago Board of Elections is even the right defendant in this lawsuit and can they adequately defend the city's decision to put this question on the ballot um, when their duties are primarily administrative as they told a judge this week. And so a judge is trying to get a, mo a you know, a ruling on this quickly. Um, but so far, you know, you should still vote on this question in your mail-in ballot or early voting. And if a judge rules that this question is unconstitutional, then um, those votes just won't be made public. Yeah, well, we'll be keeping an eye on that story. And in the meantime, folks, get out and make your voices heard for the March primary. Patrick, here's another story that caught our eye. This one's from Block Club Chicago about what emergencies get responded to by police. And, and this one really struck me. They, they found officers are more likely to spend time on traffic stops instead of 911 calls. This is according to an analysis of, of dispatch data. You saw this story? I did. Excellent reporting by by Pascal Sabino in uh, at from Block Club Chicago. Um, and, and I think it's 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 not even what emergencies they respond to. It's whether or not they're responding to emergencies instead of doing things like right. making traffic stops. Um, in the story, they talked to a number of people, um, one that really stood out of people who called 911 in an emergency and waited hours or just never got a police response at all. There was one mother who uh, who told Block Club that she called police repeatedly, called her station about someone shooting out the windows of her home. She was hiding in the closet with her kids, and police just never arrived. Uh, according to Block Club's reporting, the officers who were dispatched stopped to help with a stolen car investigation instead of going to go into the call and what they found in that analysis is that there are there is this rapid response team of officers who in theory are supposed to respond to 911 calls but they actually spend the majority of their time 
making traffic stops. And I do think it's worth pointing out that that uh, and Wesley Scogin, uh, a researcher in the article, said, you know, this isn't an accident. They're doing that because that is a mandate from mm -hmm. from the police department. And it is absolutely the case that the police department um, over, you know, over in re recent years, at least, has made traffic stops kind of seemingly the main pillar of their crime prevention strategy. The idea of stopping people and trying to find guns is the way that they're going to prevent crime. Yeah. And according to this reporting, that is hurting the city's, the police department's ability to respond to, to 911 emergencies. You've been on this uh, criminal justice beat for a long time, Patrick. I mean, any surprises here? Well, you know, I, I wasn't surprised. I've heard similar complaints to what was reported About how here. CPD has responded to 911 yes, calls about people in the past. waiting forever. You know, that same woman reported witnessing a murder and, and it being... You know, she had a description of the car. She had a description of the shooter. She said it was six hours before CPD came to ask her for that description. I have heard exactly things like that. It's what makes you, um, when police talk about their low clearance rates for on murders and shootings, and they blame a lack of cooperation from the community. That certainly happens. But I've also heard from people who are like, I want to communicate. I want to cooperate. I want to help catch these people. And the police haven't come to ask me uh, what's mm -hmm. going on. So. You know, I, I I'll say I wasn't shocked by it, but that does not diminish the value of the reporting here. I mean, it's it's a it's it's a striking analysis. Yeah, it goes into some detail that I would have never heard of. Um, I want to turn to another story now, Dan. Mike Madigan's right hand man learned that he's going to be spending two and a half years behind bars. Remind us, who's Tim Mapes? Yes, Tim Mapes was the longtime uh, chief of staff to former Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan. He was also executive director of the Illinois Democratic Party and clerk of the Illinois House, three positions that gave him an enormous amount of power as sort of a, a gatekeeper and, as you said, right-hand man to, to Madigan. Um, he was granted immunity to testify before a grand jury in the, uh, the probe into Madigan and uh, Mike McLean, another close ally who is a former legislator and um, lobbyist for Commonwealth Edison, mm -hmm. and um, a jury found that Mapes lied repeatedly in front of the grand jury, um, saying he didn't recall the context of or content of conversations with McLean about assignments that Madigan had, had given McLean, and um, it was really striking in the sentencing. The judge uh, referred to this concept from the mafia called omerta, which is basically, in the judge's words, the idea that you don't rat on your friends. And um, he he sort of chastised Mapes for what he described as this misplaced loyalty to Madigan, who, you know, cast him out of his, his government and political operations when Mapes uh, had some sexual harassment and bullying complaints back in 2018. Um, and this is yet another conviction in this long string of, yeah. of cases tied to this federal probe that um, involved former alderman Ed Burke, Madigan, a bunch of ComEd executives and lobbyists. So now we've had a McLean along with three other uh, ComEd executives and lobbyists convicted. We've had Mapes convicted of perjury. This feels like a continuing uh, story yes. that will never end. Yes. Uh, there was a state senator. Former, former state senator Anazette Collins, actually, the same day Mapes was sentenced, was convicted of tax fraud charges related to the same investigation. So uh, who's next is Mike Madigan and Mike McLean go on trial in October. Um, it was supposed to be April, but it got pushed back several months. And mm -hmm. one of the big questions out there is what the U.S. Supreme Court is going to decide in this sort of similar case involving the federal bribery statutes and what constitutes a bribe. And it'll be interesting to see what that decision is and then what impact it might have on the, the trial of Madigan. And don't forget, we have Ed Burke sentencing um, this summer as well. Yeah. And so that well, will you be... You spent many a days in the courtroom for that. <laughs>
Yeah, it was going to be sort of uh, the Madigan trial was going to be sort of like a prelude to the Democratic National Convention this summer. You know, the guy who led the Illinois Democratic Party for, right. for decades. Um, and now it's going to be, I guess, sort of the postscript between the convention and the election in yeah. November. All right, let's turn to schools, Patrick. Uh, Chicago Public Schools wants to ditch the company that's responsible for keeping the schools clean. What? Yeah, yeah. For a decade, this private company uh, called Aramark, they've managed cleaning in Chicago Public Schools. And for just about as long, there have been complaints about unclean schools, a lack of cleaning supplies, poor management of janitors. I should be clear, um, the janitors themselves are, are still Chicago employees. They're in a union, but they are managed by, well, uh, were, uh, I guess they still are now, but they won't soon. They were managed by a private company known as Aramark. I think like, I'm thinking to, I think over the last decade, every education reporter we've had in here has done a story about uh, complaints about what a poor job Aramark does at cleaning yeah. the schools. Uh, you know, there's been reporting about principals and parents cleaning their own schools because the Janet, you know, because the, the job, yeah, people stepping up because they don't want a disgusting and filthy, filthy school. So uh, the Board of Ed uh, is getting rid of that contract, sort of undoing privatization that happened about, about you know, about 10 years ago. It's kind of a political. Um, I don't know if it's a political win. It just kind of politically makes sense for Mayor Johnson and his his board of ed. I mean, there are these complaints about unclean schools. It's also something the unions have wanted for a really yeah. long time is to sort of get public control back. Well, I mean, yeah, exactly. There was no control here, right? Because cleaning schools was outsourced to a private company and CPS schools. They, they basically didn't have control over how clean their buildings were or, or what directions custodians were given right they didn't have control over over the supervision and direction of, of the janitors and I, I think uh i think it's important to point out this isn't a silver bullet uh you know i think there probably will still be unclean schools in a, a year from now unfortunately but it, it theoretically at least would mean that cps which manages the schools and that will get public complaints and hear from principals will also be the one responsible for how the schools get cleaned Let's squeeze in one last story before we take a, a pause here. This one also on education and has to do with uh, seniors, uh, high school seniors heading to college. Now, it turns out a, a revamped version of FAFSA may be shutting some students out from getting aid, Patrick. Yeah, so uh, the federal government revamped the, the financial aid form that you, you fill out to get, get financial aid to pay for college. There have been all sorts of problems with, with that new online form. Some schools have even pushed back the sort of financial aid deadline because of that. But one specific problem that, that our, our colleague Lisa Curry and Phillip reported on is that uh, American students who have immigrant parents who don't have social security numbers, they just aren't able to submit their application. So they're entitled to federal help paying for college because they are citizens here in, in the country, but because their parents don't have social security numbers, they just like can't get to that. We've all been there where you right. just can't it, get to that next it page. It literally stops. Right. You, There's you know, an error. Yeah. You're trying to fill out a thing and they're like, enter the social security number. And you're like, no, I said I don't have one of those. And they just, you can't get it. It's wow. it's a real headache. She uh, She's talked to high school students who it's, you know, they're worried they're not going to be able to go to college because of this. Up next, Yelp came out with a list of the 100 best pizzas in the country, the entire country. And number one on that list was Chicago's own Pequods. Any Pequods fans in the room? I'm going to come out and say I don't like Pequods. Wow. Mm. Um, I also think that tavern style pizza is the best Chicago style pizza as I opposed agree. to deep dish. I agree. I think the most basic thing 
about me is that my favorite deep dish is Lou Malnati's and um, Pequod's uh, sauce is a little too like seasoned for me. I like just like tomato sauce mm. basically on my pizza. You're plain Jane. My yeah. Yeah. So that's my opinion. Yeah, my, my wife, uh, Lou Malnati's is Mina's favorite as well. I love Pequod's, though. I think Pequod's yeah. might, be, might be my favorite of that style. And that is the, like, when I think of Chicago style that I actually want to eat, it's that Lou Malnati's or Pequod's, like, kind of, like, it's deep dish, but it's not the casserole of, like, you mm -hmm. know, Uno's. Um, mm -hmm. I also mm -hmm. feel like the uh, tavern style is great. It's kind of a hipster take, Mariah. But you know, I, I, <laughs> tavern style it, 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 is fantastic. I mean, that's just classic. the pizza that people like. That's just pizza yes. in Chicago. Yeah. Right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just prefer a thin crust. And period. I, I am ashamed to admit that I have never been to Pequod. It's been on my list uh, forever, and now I feel like it's going to take you know forever to get a table there. It already does. Yeah. Now that they're number one, yeah, you'll never get in. But you could go to Kibitz Nest across the street and play some board games. It's like a cute little board game. Bar. Well, folks, <laughs> okay. Pequod's <laughs> insists that their pizza is pan, not deep dish. Oh, oh okay. I want to make sure I correct you on that. Yeah, that <laughs> and I'll uh, also endorse Lou Malnati's while we're endorsing our favorite nice. deep dish. <laughs> yeah, well, so yeah, it's not deep dish or thin crust, but pan pizza that reigned supreme. Awesome. Yeah. So Pequod's was not representing Chicago alone on the list. I want to be clear that at number nine, there was also Kalo Pizzeria in Andersonville. Never had it. Then we've got Wicker Park's Peace Brewery and Pizza. I've had that. Number 17. <laughs> <laughs> Dan and I will think about You just tell us if you've had or not. And on our list of pizzas that Mariah has tried, <laughs> the popular Chicago Pizza and Oven Grinder Company in Lincoln Park was at number 27. You has, had that one? No. Has Mariah had that? Mm -mm. Okay. Spock and Napoli. Oh yeah. Spock and Napoli. Spock and Napoli. Yeah. Spock and Napoli. Neapolitan Italian style. That's really good. Sorry, I'm I'm new. No, I'm kidding. They were at number 44. That's a spot in Ravenswood. And toward the bottom of this best of list, at number 98, Coal Fire Pizza in Westtown. I haven't been to that one. No, no. And I live I live near Westtown. Any of your favorites on the list? Other favorites? Apparently not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I really like Pequod's. Bartoli's Pizza um, in Westtown too. Actually, mm -hmm. I think it's really good tavern style hipster hipster no, pizza. Is, I mean, it's, it it, it. No, tavern styles, yeah, it's great. Hipster pizza. I'll never forget that. Um, okay, here's another story that caught our team's attention. Oh gosh, our senior producer Meha says Costco pizza remains undefeated. <laughs> Ooh, I, like I, I like had to that. squeeze that in there. I like home run in frozen pizza, which is what we eat. In yeah. my <laughs> Home run in, it's, I think that's a Chicago company, it, and yeah, yeah. It, it's good. It's like a buttery crust, yummy cheese, and, and sauce. I will. I'm going to say, I, I, I do prefer Detroit-style pizza. I was just going to say gonna that. Say no love for, like, Jets. No, I, know where, I where hate Jets. What? Oh. Are you kidding me right now? Wow. Jets is so good. You are lucky we, Dan is between us. Now, now. A fake threat of violence. That was a joke. <laughs> Not in our brand new studios here at WBEZ. No fighting. I'll All right. eat any pizza. That'll just yeah, end by saying true. I eat any kind of pizza you put in front of me. Except Little Caesars. I was going to say, Dan, you're I'll a little quiet eat, here. I'll even eat Little Caesars. No, I, it's <laughs> only $5. Yeah. What's, what's wrong with uh, Caesars? It's not exactly pizza, but it's it's good. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. shout out to Jets. I'm sorry. Yeah. You're wrong if you don't like Jets. <laughs> All right. Here's another story that caught our team's attention. Over at the Field Museum, there's a new exhibition called Bloodsuckers, Legends and Leeches. Now, in the spirit of this exhibition, the field's partnering with local restaurants and they're featuring a key ingredient in their dishes, blood. So are you icked out by this or intrigued? 
it, I want to be clear. It's not human blood, right? <laughs> I have yeah, no idea. Because yeah. yeah. yeah, if it's human that. blood, I'm icked out and not at all intrigued. I want to be clear. Yeah. I don't think so. Because, like, are the, yeah, are, what blood are the leeches? Are, they're not getting the, the blood, blood from the from? leeches. Oh. No, this hasn't been, like, filtered through a leech. Is it, like, blood? I've had, like, blood sausage. Yeah, blood sausage not, is great. Oh, Yeah. I love blood sausage. Like no. in an English blood breakfast. Pudding. Yeah. <laughs> blood pudding, yeah. No, so I'm icked out by this part of the conversation. <laughs> I'm icked out by you guys. <laughs> okay. You know, when you're so, at a bed and breakfast in England and they put, you know, blood pudding on your, you eat it, it's fine, it's good. No. Yeah, well, I'm hearing now. So this, <laughs> this is like, no, you don't. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, so I'm hearing it's, uh, getting clarification, it's, it's like blood sausage and animal blood. Oh. Okay, okay. okay. Wait, so that's better? Well, better than, than human, human blood? Yeah. <laughs> I'm seeing all your heads nod. I'm like, yeah, wait, it's, it's still blood. It's gross. Yeah, blood sausage. I mean, I don't think I'd make it a common part of my diet, but yeah, I've, I've had blood sausage before. It's cool. I like my steak like medium, medium well. Ugh. Like no blood. I got a medium steak the other day and was dry and wait, gross. Wait, because it was I, over or under? It was, well, it was under. Oh, you don't want oh, medium. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. No, no, no. No, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the partnership is called Blood Appetite, and it's running from next Monday, February 19th through March 8th. For those of you listening who are interested in running right over. <laughs> uh, and if you're adventurous enough to, to try a little blood with your food. Yum. Yeah. Uh, all right. I got to talk about the weather, folks, because we have had an unseasonably warm winter. It's been great. I've been pulling out the tiny jackets. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, not anymore, right? Today comes and we've got these temperatures in the 20s. We got teens tonight and we're even expecting some snow in parts of the south suburbs. So, I mean, did any of you like me fall victim to full spring? Yeah, and the thing that's going to happen now is I'm just going to be cold the rest of the winter because I've already decided that, like, I'm not putting back on my heavy winter coat. Mm -hmm. Because in my mind, it's just like now it's just we're done. cute coat. Like, we're already coat here. Season. Yeah. yeah, and so now I'm just going to be freezing um, for for the rest of the season. My kindergartner definitely fell for it, especially because it, like, started around the time of Groundhog Day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, like, the Groundhog I always get confused. Whatever. It was spring was supposed to be sooner, right? And so he's like, right. winter's over now. And I'm like, no, you know, it's it's still winter. Like, we're going to get snow in March or maybe even April. And um, I'm just bummed because, like, every winter, the past win few winters, it's been like, when there's snow on the ground, it's like zero degrees or lower outside. And, like, you can't get kids outside playing in the snow or go sledding or any of that fun stuff. Mm -hmm. It's just a bummer. Yeah, my kids also fell for it. I mean, I was seeing the short jackets. I was seeing crop tops. I was like, no, wow. heading to high school. I was like, no, no, no. Yeah, I'm not that <laughs> Slides. Crazy. I saw slides and socks mm -hmm. the other day. I said, no, it's still February. Like, what are you doing? You know, yeah. um, are, are we in Chicago's third winter phase? Is that what's happening right now? Yeah, I mean, you have to know this is coming. I don't know if I fell for the fake, the, the fake spring, but I enjoyed it when it was here. I mean... The difference in my mood when there's a sun, uh, when, when oh, I can see goodness. the sun is just, that's the thing. I'll take cold if there's some blue skies, yeah. if I can feel the sun on my face. It's it's just changes my whole life. Yeah, yeah, but then you see like stuff about how it's the warmest February in a hundred or warmest mm. winter or whatever in 150 years. And you start to worry about like the long-term implications of what this, and I know weather and climate are not the same thing, but still. No, like, that's, that's legit. It, yeah. it's, <laughs> that's, it's, you're fine. It's depressing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I really think about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I wouldn't want to, I, I love season changes and I, I, I love like earning spring and uh. I love hating March because spring's not here <laughs> yeah. yet. And so, you know, I wouldn't want to live 
in a city without seasons. Yeah, or... I love season changes to an extent. Mm. I just winter is just not my bag. Mm-hmm. Like, I I just love you guys. That's why I'm here. <laughs> I love you, listeners too. That's that, that's why. Aren't um, winters worse in Canada? You're from Canada, though, right? I, I am from Canada. I, I love when people generalize. Like, I'm from Canada, this massive country. Um, I'm from Toronto specifically, and I think the winters here in Chicago are worse. Hmm. They're they're a bit more harsh. The temperatures will be similar, but the the amount of snow, like in, in typical winters here. Um, just the amount of snow that you get, especially because of your position on the lake, which mm-hmm. is different from Toronto on Lake Ontario, um, you just get a lot more snow. So it's like the double, triple whammy, right? Where mm-hmm. you're just getting like harsh temperatures and all that snow. Whereas in Toronto, like it'll be, it'll get cold, but then you just layer up and you're fine. Mm-hmm. I don't like to, like I had, I'd never dug my car out of snow until I moved <laughs> here. <laughs> So mm-hmm. that told me everything okay. I needed to know. Yeah. I remember. I think you tweeted about that, like your first winter I here. And I did. Like, oh, I wanted to make sure everyone knew. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Chicago now and look what they're making me do. <laughs> I was so upset. But here I am three years later. Yeah. <laughs> um, so before we, we wrap up here, I'm curious if there were any stories that you all felt were underreported this week. Anything come to mind, Patrick? Well, I wouldn't call it underreported, but I, I want to flag there's a story today from Frank Maine at the Sun-Times about um, the ongoing sex abuse lawsuit against the former uh, police superintendent, Eddie Johnson. Uh, new allegations in there and, and just the fact that this, this, this lawsuit is still ongoing. There's been um, depositions in there. And, mm-hmm. and I just think, it's you know, obviously this is still being decided by the courts. I'm not saying I know who's telling the truth or what's going on exactly or what the truth is in that case. But I think it's worth, he's been out more. I'm not saying he needs to be persona non grata, but I think it's worth us all remembering that Superintendent Johnson, you know, he was fired in this scandal, uh, but that scandal involved an, a relationship with a subordinate, mm-hmm. a subordinate who was transferred after the scandal came out, essentially punished because of this relationship with the top cop, uh, in Chicago, and and again, I'm not saying that Eddie Johnson should necessarily be persona non grata, but I think people are kind of forgetting that there was more to the scandal around Superintendent Johnson uh, losing his job than just the the the, the heavy drinking and driving. Mm-hmm. That there was what I talked to to one attorney thought was absolutely sex based harassment. I mean, anytime you have someone this powerful and someone who's their direct subordinate in in a sexual relationship, there's there's yeah. clearly issues there. Anything on your radar, Dan? Um, you know, nothing that occurs to me right off the top of my head is underreported, um, but I am looking ahead next week. The governor, as we alluded to earlier, is going to be unveiling his budget proposal for next year down in Springfield. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hopping on Amtrak on Tuesday night to go down there for the speech. Fun. Um, you know, things have been surprisingly good for the last few years regarding the state budget, um, and things look like they might be getting a little tighter. So it's going to be really interesting to see how he um, sort of threads the needle there. Um, works with competing demands from legislators who want to spend more money on, on new programs um, and if they can kind of keep the, the progress that the state has been making incrementally but positively for the last few years going. Yeah, should be a fun train ride. <laughs> Mariah, what about you? Anything that uh, catches your eye out there that we haven't talked about today or anything interesting that's on your plate for next week? Yeah, some reporting I appreciated this week was from our colleague at the Sundimes, Nader Issa, who's been following the story of two Chicago area Palestinian brothers who are stuck in Gaza and who've been taken by Israeli officials um, without detailed explanation. And the Israeli government confirmed that these two brothers um, were taken last week uh, despite being cleared by the State Department months ago um, to leave Gaza. And their cousin has been advocating for 
for their release. Um, Israeli officials said that they were arrested for potential collaboration with Hamas, but did not provide like answers to any of um, Nader's follow-up questions. Mm -hmm. And he spoke to some legal experts. It's a really good story um, about you know why we should be skeptical of yeah. those claims. Um, and, and it's at suntimes.com. It's, it's on the Suntimes website. And this is, you know, I should mention, these are two American citizens. There are believed to be six American citizens among the 250 people taken hostage wow. by Hamas um, in October, on October 7th that, you know, U.S. We'll have officials to check that out. Have, have failed to bring home. Well, that's WBEZ's Mariah Wolfel. We also had WBEZ's Patrick Smith and the Chicago Tribune's Dan Petrella. Our thanks to you three. Have a great weekend. Thank you. you. This episode of the Reset Podcast was produced by Meha Ahmed and Dan Tucker, who also edited the episode. It was mixed by Brenda Ruiz. If you enjoy our weekly news recap, we'll subscribe to the Reset Podcast so that you'll never miss the next one. From city and state politics to national and international news, we have you covered with the latest information, sharing all different kinds of perspectives and keeping you in the know and in the loop. Thanks for tuning in to this week's News Recap. I'm your host, Sasha Ann Simons. Check out our podcast feed tomorrow for a special pod featuring a local folk musician whose new album explores all the stages of love.